Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. I trust everyone had a uh, good Thanksgiving. I know at my house we had a full house. Uh, in fact, I was going to make a joke, but I think the half of the people who are not here today were at my house on Thanksgiving, so I at least got to be with them. Uh, and, and I am thankful for all of you. Thankful for the season uh, that we are in. We had a great time on our fall retreat. You know, when you think about calendars and kind of year in, like the fall retreat kind of marks that for me as well. It just it's like, okay, we, we kind of rounded another lap, and then you start planning for the new year and what we're looking forward uh, to. Uh, we are actually in our last week of our series, Transforming Grace. Uh, this actually, the way the calendar fell, Advent starts this week technically on the calendar, but we are delaying that by one week and, and starting that next week uh, once we actually hit December so that we can finish up this series on Transforming Grace in Second Peter. So if you have a physical copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and turn to Second Peter, or if you have the app on your phone, uh, you can turn there. We'll be in chapter 3. Um, Wrapping up the last section of verses, we'll probably go back to verse 11 and then through 18. Um, although this is a short letter, it's a very firm letter. Uh, Peter kind of is, just pulls out all the punches, um, but he's encouraging us. And he's encouraged us with a few things. Uh, first, he's encouraged us to pursue godliness. And just the way that we live is Christians. Uh, then he encourages us by actually warning us of coming judgment. He says, judgment is going to happen. It's going to take place. And then the final thing that he does is he reminds us of Christ's return. So he's saying, pursue godliness, judgment's coming, Christ is going to return. Be mindful of this. Uh, so today in our final message, uh, the main point of our sermon is we're going to look at what we do as Christians as we wait for Christ's return. Now, if you've ever watched kids play soccer, young kids in particular, I like, think like the three, four-year-olds, uh, you know that they have no clue where they are to be on the field and what they are actually to do. Um, oftentimes, they're running the wrong direction, or they're kicking the ball into the wrong goal, or uh, in the case of one of my kids recently, like they all of a sudden in the middle of the game decide to play time, and they're like playing tag while the actual soccer game is going on. Um, and so it can be funny to watch, but it can also quickly turn into chaos because they aren't sure where they're supposed to start out on the field, and they're not sure where they're supposed to end up on the field. And don't even get me started, like when they switch at halftime, you know, all of a sudden they're going the opposite direction, and all the kids are really confused by, why did they just do that to me? Because I think I finally figured out that I'm supposed to go that way, and now they're telling me the next 20 minutes I go this way. While they're learning the basics and fundamentals of the game, kids often neglect their actual position or role that will help them with the goal of winning. It's just kind of utter chaos. They're going everywhere. But as they get older, and I've watched this happen as I've coached over the years, um, kids suddenly start to learn, like, I'm better at this position or better at this position. I prefer defense or I prefer offense. When they're young, they all prefer offense. Everybody wants to score. But eventually, they kind of figure out where they're supposed to go. And, and they, they get to where they have a well-synced team effort and team game, right? If you watch any of the World Cup games, uh, you, you kind of see this happen, right? When you get to the, the ultimate professional level, they're not running all over. They're kind of staying in their position. Well, this is similar to us as Christians. Peter has been reminding us of the basics and fundamentals of our faith while casting a vision for us of the end. He knows that what you believe about where you end up has a bearing on how you live your life now. And so he's helping us know our role. He's helping us know our position. In other words, what we believe about the world will determine our role and position and that we play toward that end. 
So if we kind of, it's almost like you're looking forward to the future. You know what's coming, but you're here in this present present state. And so it's like how you live in the meantime, how, how you operate should impact that. That you're not just running aimlessly. You're not just living wildly. You're not just chaotic in your life. So beginning in chapter 3, verse 11, Peter transitions to the very last section of his letter. I actually covered a few of these verses two weeks ago. Um, but he moves from the argumentation that he's been giving us of pursue these things, judgment's coming, be cautious of, of false teachers, um, Christ is going to return. And he now is moving into application and his application reflects his heart for us to live in view of our firm conviction that Jesus is coming back. And so he offers us three applications regarding how we are to wait for Jesus in view of what we believe about his return. So here's what we're going to cover this week. Number one, we're going to live, live it godly in light of his return. Number two, we're going to see be established in the truth of Christ. And number three, we're going to grow in the grace and knowledge. So let me pray for us, and then we'll actually get into those points in the text. God, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for your word that is something we can live and abide by. God, I pray that you would show us uh, this morning what it is that we are to do as we wait for your return. God, we are entering a season where we celebrate your first coming, Lord, your advent, where you came to earth. But God, Peter's reminding us here of your second coming and what it is we are to do between that first coming and that second coming. God, may we be reminded of that today. May we leave here looking more like you. God, may we leave here encouraged um, the way that we are to live in between your first and your second coming. It's in your name. Amen. So number one, lived godly in light of his return. Let's look at verses 11 through 14 of 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So Peter points us back to where he started this whole letter. Living as the people of God in light of this reality. So first, I've got kind of four subpoints underneath number one. He says, live holy and godly. In other words, live lives that show reverence to God that resemble his nature. He's basically saying this. Believers should live like believers. And true believers will live like believers. Like Maybe he's implying there won't be a question in your mind. Does that make sense? Like you should be living in this way because you are this. This isn't faking it until you make it. This is like Christ has changed you. He's empowered you to now live in this way. Second, he says, waiting and hastening. If you look back at verse 12, this word hastening, it's, it's the Greek word for, for hurry. And it's talking about the coming day of God. What this actually suggests, and this is some of those things in Scripture, like I don't fully understand this, but it suggests that by living holy lives, Christians can actually affect the time of the Lord's return. Now, I don't fully understand that, but what's implying is that we, we are to live like Christians because in Christ we are we're changed, we're new creations, and that as we live that way, it actually... Um, somehow has an effect on the time of the Lord's return. I don't think we have to get caught up on what that actually means, other than his point is, I think he's just reemphasizing this point. 
live godly lives. And so from a human perspective, this, this would look like things like Christians sharing their gospel with others, sharing this good news, uh, praying for others, and advancing the kingdom of God. And by doing that, you're hastening or hasten the fulfillment of God's purposes, including Christ's return. And so we actually get a role in this return through our lives. Once again, we don't fully understand it, but what's kind of cool is that God's given us a role in this. Like God didn't choose to put us on the bench. None of us want to be bench players. He didn't put us on the bench, but God said, like, here, you, you get, you're, in the, you're in the game. I'm going to show you where to be so it's not utterly chaotic. Uh, Matthew 24, 14. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So this is our purpose. This gives our life significance and purpose. I said this two weeks ago, but we always were forgetful, right? We've had a retreat since then and Thanksgiving and Ben and I were texting and he's like, we haven't had a regular gathering in a while. It's like, it's only been two weeks, but it feels like it's been a long time. And so I I said this two weeks ago, but as a reminder, if you've ever wondered what your purpose is, this is it. To proclaim the gospel to the whole world, wherever you go to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your family members, to the nations. This is why we support overseas missions because we have a purpose to go and to proclaim the gospel to the whole world. And it says in Matthew 24, 14, and then the end will come. Which leads us into the third subpoint: patiently waiting. Verse 13 reminds us that the next life will take place in a new earth and under new heavens, a place which righteousness reigns. I'm going to read Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Ben read that for us at the beginning. But this is what we're looking forward to. So if if you're kind of like frustrated sometimes or down when you look around at the world and what's happening and the state literally of of the earth, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? I don't think our minds can fathom this, but imagine the best renovation that you could ever watch. So we love watching home renovation shows and, and different things on Netflix. Like imagine the best one that's ever happened and then like... A thousand times more than that, right? Your mind would be blown. But we've a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, I'm just actually going to pause on that. Like, if you think about, like, I love exploring. I love adventure. If you've ever been on my Instagram page, all you see is, like, different outdoor stuff, right? I love Pacific Northwest, but then you go out, to, you know, to Arizona, you get the Grand Canyon, you go to the beaches of California or the beaches in Hawaii, like, all these cool things. I'm like, God did a pretty dang good job on the first earth. We messed it up. And he's saying we're going to get a new earth. So, like, I can't imagine, like, when you see the beauty of something on this present earth, like, I go to Cannon Beach. I've been there for, going there for six years now. And every time, what do I do? I take a picture of a dang rock, right? I sit there, and I'm like, oh. And then the next morning, I'm like, oh, but now it looks a little bit different. And I'm like, at the end of the day, it's like, it's just this rock. It's this massive rock. But it's beautiful. So, I'm like, God, you did a really good job the first time, even though humans screwed it up. And you're going to come and make it even better? So, I don't think our minds can, can imagine. But new heaven, new earth. For the first one passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus is going to come back and fix everything. Everything that's wrong, everything that causes us to uh, tears, 
Death, right? What's one of the hardest, like the biggest hardship of life? It's death, right? And we're all we're all headed to, towards death. If you look in the mirror and you, if you're like me, you wear glasses and your hair color's changing, you've got less hair and all these things, right? It's like, I'm headed towards death. This is the process. That's also one of the most painful things in our life when we lose someone. He's saying death will be no more. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying, no more pain for the former things that passed away. Like that is really good news. Jesus is gonna come back, he's gonna fix it all. But he's saying that we are to do good in the world in the meantime, in the in-between until that day happens, until the day of the Lord. And so Peter's saying that day is coming. It's coming sooner than you think, but there's this in-between time. It's going to be perfected here, and in the in-between time, you are to do good. That's why when we say, like, in Portland as it is in heaven, it's like we are to do good in Portland to make Portland as best as it can be in the meantime. It's not going to ever be perfect, but that we are to do good. That's why we love and serve our community and our city. And so if that doesn't provide you motivation for righteous living, I don't know who it will. Like that you've given this role, it's in the in-between, it's going to be imperfect. Like we, we can do one of two things when you hear that. You can be really passive and just be like, eh, you know, you've kind of heard the mentality like it's all going to burn up anyway, like because people are using this passage, which we don't really know, right? It's like, he says it's going to be new, it's going to be made new. So maybe it is that, but either way, it doesn't matter. It's also that we've been commanded to go and to make things better, essentially, right? And so even if that is going to take, like, we don't know the process that God's going to use. Like, just think about the home renovations in our city. We see a lot of those. Sometimes they bulldoze a house over. Other times they remodel the current house. Like, we don't know what that part looks like. The point is, it's going to be perfected when Christ returns, and that we've been given a role in the in-between to live a certain way, to make it as best as it can be here. And so, yes, you might be experiencing hell on earth. You know, I know there's different uh, pains that we all have in our lives. But as a follower of Jesus, this life is the worst that it gets. Like Jesus is going to come back and he's going to fix everything. That's why I think it's worth pausing on. Like it's, it, it might sound cliche, like in the end, it's all going to work out. But for those in Christ, in the end, it's all going to work out. Like it's all going to be fixed. All of the, the pains of life. And fourth, he says to be diligent to reflect the purity of Christ. Verse 14. In other words, don't sit around passively. We're called to do something. It's just be diligent. Think through what you're going to do, that God has already given us a life of power through his spirit to live this out. So it doesn't say go live a godly lives. Now pull up your bootstraps and work harder. It says live godly lives. Remember back to the chapter, I think it's chapter one, one of the first three verses, like that God has empowered you through his spirit to live in this way. This is where the Eminem song gets it right. I, I quoted that two weeks ago, but um, I kind of did from the other, another angle. And that song says you have one shot. So in some ways, he is right. Even as Christians, we have one shot. Only what you do for Christ will last. Live this life in such a way to honor him, to do better, to make this this world a place that's pointing towards Jesus. As a church, what will you be doing upon Christ's return? Hopefully growing in godliness. And then hopefully living at peace and unity with the community of faith, the church in light of the imminent return of Christ. Number two, be established in the truth of Christ. Pick up verse 15. It says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. 
You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Peter again reminds us here not to see the delay of the Lord coming back as a sign that he will fail to fulfill his promise. That's what the false teachers were, were, were proclaiming. They're saying, see, Jesus hasn't come back. It's too late. Time has expired. Everything you were holding on to, that hope. But that's not how we're to look at it. We're to see it as a sign of God's patience in seeking the salvation of many. Right now, as, as one who's in Christ, like I look forward to that day. And on my worst days, I'm like, Jesus, please return. Like, return now. But, but then when you think about it, like God's patient, he's delaying it. It's a sign of God's mercy. It's, it's the age of, uh, some would say, the time between his ascension, so once Christ ascended back to heaven, and the return of Christ. It's called the age of salvation. That God is more concerned with the fate of the unsaved than we are. Right? Hopefully we are concerned, but God's even more concerned, which is why he's delaying his return. He wishes that all would come to repentance. So his lack of return isn't that he's failed to, to do what he promised to do. It's that he is being patient. And think about your own life, your own story of salvation. Aren't you thankful for God's mercy and grace in your life that he, he allowed his patience until you realized and recognized and came to him? And that's what he's doing with others as well. So praise God for his patience in that. We can continue to go through hardships of life and in some ways, it's like, yes, I want you to return on this hand, but on this other hand, it's like, God, I'm thankful you have it because I want other people to have the opportunity to hear and to respond. And so if you're not a Christian, you can change that reality by turning from sin, repenting, and submitting to Jesus in his way. If you are a Christian, the call for you is to go and make disciples. Share the gospel and disciple and apprentice ones who respond. Now, I know we hear that. We think, like I grew up in church, and for years you're like, I know it's called all this told, go make disciples, but what does that actually mean? How do I actually do that? So you don't have to feel overwhelmed by this. As a church, we're here to do this together. And that's part of the journey that we're on, like helping others figure out what it means to obey Jesus. What does it mean to apprentice in his way? And so Peter even helps us by saying this. He goes, hey, I get it. There are some teachings in the Bible that are hard to understand, specifically Paul. Now, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. So if you ever feel like, I don't understand this, you're in good company. Because Peter, an apostle, is like, hey, there's some hard things to understand here. But he says, this is why we have to be cautious of false teachers. Because false teachers will come in, and they'll take the hard things to understand, and they'll take advantage of that, and they'll twist it, and they'll turn it, and they'll try to confuse people. And so Peter wants us to be firmly established in the truth as we wait for Christ's return. And he again reminds us not to drift into heresy by being presented by these false teachers. Like, not to give in. I actually heard one pastor say it this way. I want to give him credit because I took it from him. He says, not every lady wearing yoga pants is doing yoga. Okay? Is that not true? Right? Ladies wear yoga pants all the time. But most of the time when I see them, they're shopping or they're not, they're not doing yoga. And they may never do yoga. In the same way, not every teacher who, who looks like a, a teacher is worth listening to and worth following. Especially those who, who, might, who might have something that looks similar to God's word, but it's something actually different. And so it's saying, be Cautious who you are listening to and following. So be on your guard. Use discernment. Interpret scripture with scripture and the life of Jesus. Because Peter wants us to make it to the finish line in full stride. Finally, number three, grow in grace and knowledge. Verse 18. 
It says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So Peter concludes by calling us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Something strange happens when we give our life to Christ, for most of us anyway. We grow in those initial years, or at least those initial months, especially if you have what I kind of call a radical salvation or radical testimony. Like you come to Christ and you're just, you're like a sponge. You're soaking it all up. You're reading God's word. You're constantly studying it. You're, you're signing up for every Bible study that, that's available. You're asking questions, sometimes really hard ones that pastors are like, I'll get back to you on that because we're like, we have no clue. And you're just soaking it up. But then something often happens is we grow stagnant. And you kind of get to a point where you've almost like peaked at your growth, and then you just kind of flatline it out. And so my experience and observation of people I've known over the years, people can go years and grow little to at all in their grace and knowledge of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3, 2, it says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready. But Peter's saying that for some Despite many years in the Christian faith and in, and in church, your character doesn't resemble Christ any more than when you first started following him. And so you start following him, your character starts changing, but then it's like you just stay there, right? Because really the goal here is that every year we resemble Christ a little bit more. Now to be clear, it is a long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson says. And it's what I call progressive sanctification. And we're all at different places on that journey. But Peter's saying that we should always be progressing. He's not saying we, we, that any of us have ever arrived, because until Christ returned, none of us have arrived. But and think about your relationships. My spouse is not in the room, thankfully, but um, hopefully she would say 15 years into marriage, because I've also been following Jesus for those 15 years, that as a husband, I look more like Jesus, and, and my character, and how I treat her, and how I treat uh, now our children. Hopefully she would say that, that, that I'm uh, closer to the goal 15 years in than where I was when we started 15 years. If not, then there's probably a problem. Um, and I should probably not be up here. But she's not in the room, so we don't know. Um, <laughs> but if you feel like, well, wait a minute, I haven't been progressing in my faith. I want you to hear this clearly as well. If you're not, don't beat yourself up and leave here all down. Because I think that's sometimes what happens. We hear this, we're like, I feel like, yeah. And we just kind of, like, that's not what we're called to do here. I would say instead, we take this as God's evidence of his grace towards us. And then we grow from today on. So we kind of pivot. We kind of go, you know what? That, that has been my, because I've been there over the years. I've been following the Lord for a long time. And there have been seasons of my life where I felt like I just stayed like this. And I would hear a message like this or maybe something from 2 Peter. And it was like, wake up call, light bulb went off. And it was like, okay, I need to get back on track. So it's not to beat yourself up. It's to go like, okay, I'm, I need to pivot where I've gotten off track because God has continually extended that invitation to me. That I can now, continue, now I can move and start growing in godliness. I mean, uh, when we were on the fall retreat, Hank talked about spiritual disciplines, or, or I like to use the word practices. And so in one way you go, well, how do I grow? Well, that's actually a really good starting place. And so maybe I've gotten away from doing those, these things that we see the disciples doing and those apprenticing under Jesus. Well, get back on track by just starting to do the next right thing that we know to do. We can start, Hank really focused on scripture reading and prayer. Those are two great starting spots, and there's some others we can grow from there. So what does it look like to grow in grace? Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So ask yourself the following questions. 
Now, if you're, if you're going to hear these, I don't have a slide for it. If you want them, I can email them to you later. But ask yourself these questions. Am I growing in my ability to love others? How much joy do I experience in my daily life? Is inner peace something that I experience? How much have I grown impatient towards others, and especially those who have sinned against me? How gentle or kind have I been today in dealing with others? Have I grown in humility or meekness? How often do I look at others and think that they are proud? How am I doing with self-control? Am I in control of my sinful impulses? How well am I controlling my anger? How do I speak to others? These questions are helpful for you to know if you're growing in grace. And as helpful as you reflect on them, ask God to help you to grow in the areas where you haven't seen growth. I'm not going to tell you which ones, but there's some on that list I'm like, yes, yes. And there's other I'm like, oh, <laughs> I need a pause. Or, or I think, man, how did I respond to the, to the guy at the Christmas tree lot whenever he thought our car door hit his car door? There was a moment. <laughs> I did better than I would have a decade ago. But, um, you know, go, I think there's some things I need to work on. Because I think it reveals something deeper going on in within me. But you ask God to help you to grow in those areas. And then finally, Peter tells us we must grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Now, this isn't simply gaining more biblical knowledge, although that's, that's not bad, but growing in the knowledge of God's character. Why is that? Because it's his character that transforms us. As we get to know him, we can become more like him. It's his spirit that helps us grow into his likeness. You can't manufacture this. You can't, you can't come up with some formula, but it's the spirit of God working in and through us. And so Peter has called us throughout this letter to live godly and holy lives, which requires a total devotion to God. 18th century writer William Law helps us define this, define this devotion. He said, devotion signifies a life given or devoted to God. The devout, therefore, are those who live no longer according to their own will or the way and spirit of the world, but live according to the sole will of God. Consider God in everything and serve God in everything. They are devout who make all the parts of their common life parts of piety by doing everything in the name of God and under such rules as are conformable to his glory. So Peter concludes by saying, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen? Amen. I coached them on that this morning. (laughs) Church, what we believe about the end will determine the role and position we play toward that end in the short time that we have now. Just like kids learning to play the roles on the soccer field in order to win the soccer game, Peter did the same thing for us in this letter. Here is the play that you are to run. Here is the roles that you are to fulfill as you wait for the end. And he ends where he started as he wants us to continue progressing, growing in our grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not a once saved and then you just kind of stay there. It's continually growing, constantly pursuing Jesus with total devotion. And in some respects, it's the same way with the gospel. It starts and finishes at the same place. Think about the gospel. First, it's inaugurated at the first coming of Christ, what we celebrate at Advent, which we will start next week. He came as a suffering servant who was humiliated to die for the sins of the world and to offer forgiveness and righteousness to the world. 
And then second, it culminates at the second coming of Christ, what we're looking forward to. He will come as a reigning Lord in all his glory and honor, and he'll punish the wicked and gather his followers. And so Jesus is coming back, and he expects his followers to live lives worthy of his arrival and his reign. As the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is the gospel, beloved. Remember it and live it as we wait for his return. We'll pray for us, and then we will move into our time of response. God, we thank you for this reminder over the last several weeks from your apostle and your servant, Peter, that we are to pursue godliness, that we are to pursue knowledge of your character and to be constantly progressing in our faith. God, for those of us who have maybe found ourselves stagnant, maybe found ourselves questioning, that you would help us um, go from today forward remembering that uh, you've given us different practices that reflect who you are, that reflect your character. And God, that we would rest in your spirit, knowing that your spirit will lead us and guide us. God, I pray that every single one of us will look more and more like you. God, when we get to the end of 2023, a year from now, that we can look back at 2022 and see how much more we look like you. Or how much more the fruit of the Spirit is evidence in our lives because of your work in and through us. And that that itself will be a testimony to the world around us. God, we give this, this time now as we move into our time of response. It's in your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.